Hi, this is Ethan Gilsdorf, author of Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks, and I am thrilled that you are listening to the Save or Die podcast. You burst through the door. You find a small room filled with gold and jewels and a red dragon. He starts to breathe. Save or die. DM Jim here, with a special Save or Die side adventure recorded by DM Liz at North Texas RPG Con 2016. This is the J. Eric Holmes reading and panel discussion, which was conducted by J. Eric Holmes' son, Chris Holmes, Xenopus Archives blogger Zach Howard, and Black Blade Publishing's own Alan Grove. The panel began with a live reading of one of J. Eric Holmes' fiction works from the forthcoming collection being released by Black Blade Publishing. We now join the panel discussion already in progress. How important they were for us figuring out how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's almost more important than the rules themselves to hear how people actually did things in a dungeon. It's true. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, um, so the Maze and Peril is Eric's um, novella, and it's about, if I remember, about 55,000 words or so. Um, and it. Um, it will be the uh, sort of the center point around which uh, the Tales of Peril collection that we're going to publish uh, that pulls together all of the Boinger and Zareth fictions into one volume. Um, uh, it's around which that entire book will be, is basically built. Uh, so the other stories that uh, are the Boinger and Zareth set are listed out among uh, Eric's other fictions as well in the handouts on page two. So. I went, ahead and I, <laughs> I went ahead and I took uh, all this information from Zach's uh, really wonderful essay and uh, bibliography uh, of Eric's works, uh, which he has up on his blog, and it's on originally from the Dragon's Foot Threads, where uh, yeah, that's where I posted originally. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so these include um, for the Boinger and Zareth stories, the Warrior for Hire and Alarms and Excursions, and then the Were Shark story there as well which are uh, little episodes that sort of introduce some of the characters, and then in the case of Warrior for Hire, or, or sort of how to introduce henchmen and hirelings into your, into your campaign. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Eric wrote uh, a series of uh, stories there prior to the Dragon Magazine ones that uh, recount adventures from the campaign with Chris, and you uh, wrote some of these with him and illustrated them. I didn't write anything. Yet. Oh, I thought you wrote a copy no. of some of that. Okay. Right. No, he dashed those off. And, uh, and I, I was like, oh, okay, let me draw something really quick. And, and, uh, yeah, so I think there's an illustration of the wear shark with one of them. And um, yeah, I love drawing wear sharks. And the giant chameleon. I can't stop. Story. Yeah. <laughs> Partly because it's a way of dealing with the anxiety of having your character eaten <laughs> when you're young and impressionable. And it, the more you draw your character being eaten, uh, the more you can deal with that trauma. And move on. <laughs> 
I think I'm done drawing wear shirts now. Wear shirts. So some of the some of the other stories in Alarms and Excursions were the Adventure of the Giant Chameleon, uh, the Adventure of the Lost City, Parts One and Two, uh, and then uh, Eric published Maze Apparel in uh, 1986 with Time Space, and then he started writing stories in Dragon Magazine. So uh, Chris already referred to Troll's Head, which is the first one that appeared there. Uh, back in 1979, in issue 31. And that was followed up by The Sorcerer's Jewel uh, in issue 46. And that one had some really neat uh, artwork by uh, Jim Rosloff in there. And in that story, the characters need a lich. <laughs> um, and they're. Uh, the first level? The, well, they're probably not first level by then. They're, they're a little bit more capable of fiction. They have some magic to help them. They do. They do. Uh, and then the story I mentioned earlier that I read first in Dragon 58 is in the bag. Um, the, uh, the, the book will also include an unpublished story called Witch Docker. Um, and then uh, we have uh, some nonfiction pieces in there. Chris will be writing an introduction for each of the stories. Uh, or he has written an introduction for each of the stories. Uh, and Zach has his uh, long essay and then the complete bibliography, which these really represent just a small portion of. Uh, uh, we'll have that in there, and then I'll write an introduction for the book as well. So, and the psychology to get part. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, Confessions of a Dungeon Master, um, and that that's actually like one of the first research activities I ever did for D and D. Uh, I went in, when I was because I had this librarian who about D and D when I was in school. I uh, somehow found out about the story probably from the Maze of Peril biography. And I went back and I tracked it down through the Reader's Guide to Periodical Literature of all things. <laughs> I had to look up where it was. It's like, uh, and then I got a photocopy of it from Interlibrary Loan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the beginnings of some research activity for me with that. Because Dad uh, was a neurology professor and, uh, and one of the, I guess, important people in Dungeons & Dragons on the West Coast, he got uh, interviewed by the LA Times and uh, he, uh, he wanted to uh, write an article that would sort of make parents less nervous about their children playing this new weird game that seemed so obsessive and, and that was causing them anxiety. And then I don't know how many parents read the article, but I encountered a college teacher later who had the article. I bumped into a few people who read it, and it's a fun article. It's not very uh, deeply, uh, incisively psychologically astounding. It's basically the same things that uh, Tim Cass was telling people and, and Gary Gygax was saying, your, your children are not going to go crazy, they're not going to go to hell, and they're not going to kill themselves, and uh, you know, ch chill out, you know. <laughs> they're, learning, uh, they're learning a lot of words, they're learning a little bit about math, and they're learning how to uh, work together for a common goal, and, and uh, they're socializing, so uh, God, Dungeons and Dragons is a wonderful game. And I'm not sure that my dad ever said that uh, outright, but he certainly wasn't one of the many defenders of it. Yeah, so the, the introduction to the Confessions of a Dungeon Master article starts out, uh, B for law, or B for chaos. Shouting the Dungeons and Dragons challenge, my players rush into the fray with their magic war hammers. Before getting an answer, their fantasy selves may indulge in murder, pillage, arson, rape. <laughs> the Dungeon Master's world is a sort of a giant Rorschach test. Can't go wrong with that. That's true. <laughs> he never gave us a magic warhammer. <laughs> he cannot be trusted. <laughs> uh, so, um, some of the other things we were going to uh, show you through the. Um, 
through the slides, we included some of Chris's artwork in the uh, original manuscript version uh, sent to TSR for the basic set. Um, and uh, we can't show you those right now, but we'll post those online. We'll be able to They're actually up on my blog already if yeah. you want to take a look at them. Yeah. I think I posted them last week. And then inside the handout, there's um, some other information. Uh, there's a, a map that's an early version of the uh, Eye of Aras dungeon that Eric drew for the fantasy role-playing games book that he wrote in 1980, uh, which is sort of a very high-level overview of the hobby, including miniatures and uh, the fantasy fiction that sort of inspired the hobby, as well as a lot of the games that were published and available at that time. It's almost like a like a very earlier, an earlier version uh, and more introductorily wrote, written way to approach fantasy role-playing games uh, in general. Similar to Lauren Schick's book, Heroic Worlds, published about 10 or so That was one, of the, years one of the first books about fantasy role-playing games that was ever published. So, uh, so there's, a, there's a early version of the map in there, and then the handouts also include uh, some of the sample, some of the characters uh, from uh, Chris's games. Uh, so it's got a recreation of Boinger, and then there's actual uh, scans of uh, Murray's character sheet, and then Zareth's is on the back, and they, they were just on little eight and a half or little three by five index cards. Yeah, <coughs> love those cards. So, so you'll be shocked to see that uh, the characters have an agility and a size, because we were playing the uh, we were uh, introduced to the Caltech uh, warlock rules that uh, included those characteristics. So. Dad eventually uh, sort of uh, drew us into learning uh, what you guys know as the basic set, and we rolled up uh, first level characters and played uh, played some games of, the, of Holmes Basic, I guess. But I've probably played fewer games of Holmes Basic than anyone in this room. <laughs> but, uh, we we played a, a sort of a bastardized version later uh, because uh, it, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons came out. And we liked a lot of the spells in it. And I liked druids, and I liked uh, some other stuff in it. Um, so I said, let's, let's use these spells, but let's not use these, and let's do this. And, let, and, and Dad said yes to everything. So um, he does mention uh, his thoughts on advanced Dungeons and & Dragons and fantasy role-playing games. And, and uh, he, he was very much uh, a fan of it. Um, but. Uh, he didn't, for some reason, review Call of Cthulhu in fantasy role-playing games, but I know for a fact that he was a big fan of Call of Cthulhu as well. So, uh, uh, Metamorphos Alpha and Call of Cthulhu and Dungeons and Dragons are our favorite games, and always will be. <laughs> and they're the only games that he ran. He and I were also uh, lucky enough to see M.I.R. Barker run a game of Empire Pale Throne and see the model that his uh, players had made. And uh, I ran one game of Empire Pale Throne my dad's character. So uh, we were definitely, uh, uh, we loved that game as well. <laughs> he pretty much loved most of the games he encountered. Maybe not Tunnels and Trolls so much, but everything else, <laughs> it's all great. Yes? Uh, did, did you actually use the spell points system that was from that game that uh, your dad wanted to bring into basic? The, the Warlock? Uh, yeah, we used spell points, I'm sorry. And we used, uh, <laughs> We used a, a combat system that was very armor class uh, sensitive or whatever, so we would obsess about which uh, weapon to use against which armor class, which was a big waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing I, I missed about uh, the, uh, the Warlock system when I had to play uh, actual Dungeons and Dragons was I loved the critical hits, 
and I, I like fumbles as well, but um, I think critical hits are a wonderful thing. <laughs> Because they, they give you that, uh, that sense that if you keep rolling, there's a chance you'll cut this dragon's head off or, you know, impale self. You know, you never know. <laughs> it gives you that, that, uh, that real excitement that uh, you're going to get there or you're going to die horribly, but, you, you know, something good's going to happen or something really bad's going to happen. <laughs> I love rolling those dice. So that seems like a good time to open up this to questions from you guys. So if you have any questions for any of us or for each other, we'd be, we'd be happy to help uh, answer or, or sort through them. Let me, let me quickly, uh, we didn't get to the photos of the, my fellow players. Oh, well, that's true. Oh, well, those, I think those were in the slide. Those were in the slide. Oh, yeah, the only ones we have are the ones on the cover. You missed the mysterious oh. girl player this, photo. Um, this is. Um, you're going to have to put those on. Yeah. This one appeared with the LA Times article in 1979. It's homes with a lot of his miniatures. Mm -hmm. And this is like an alternate version, I think, of the one that's in the um, fancy role-playing James book. Yeah, yeah, he had that. You might be able to his tell us something about that. Well, the LA Times photographer famously took a picture of one of his medical students playing with him, whose name I don't know. And I was like, who's this guy? He's famous. And, I'm not in this picture. <laughs> and then there's just a, uh, an early picture of dad that looks pretty good. And then there's a picture of me playing my dad uh, a Roman uh, miniatures war game that uh, he and I played uh, on some terrain my brother and I made for him. I played the picks and my dad uh, played the Romans and he won. The picks were slaughtered <laughs> and we had a great time. And my wife says that we should notice that there's empty bookshelves behind me, which she thinks is very strange. <laughs> there's, a, there's a basic set on one of the shelves, though. Yes, the basic set is there. I thought it was obviously stayed. Shelves. You're saying normally your dad had lots and lots. Yeah, of my books. dad uh, wasn't a carpenter, but he learned how to make bookshelves, and he made a lot. And there was. Uh, he had boxes of comic books. Three, right? three stories. Yes, there were comic books. There were toys. There was. <laughs> Uh, paperback, science fiction, hardcover, science fiction, fantasy, pulp magazines, little, little big books, um, uh, eventually Japanese anime toys, and uh, detective fiction, some science books, not many, a lot of history books, uh, a bunch of junk, yeah, <laughs> a bunch of loot. Okay. Another thing that this, uh, these pictures show is his gaming table that he had in this was in the basement of his house. Yeah. And it was painted with uh, chalkboard paint. Yeah. He would so, draw the dungeons of chalk. Yeah. So he used, he used miniatures most in most <laughs> Yeah, he loved miniatures. And uh, I think often he wasn't sure what the game was going to be until he bought the miniatures or the toys. Sometimes he'd bring uh, rubber toys or plastic toys into the game, too. And then the, I think the story started to develop as he painted the, the new monsters to show us. Yeah, there's a whole chapter devoted to miniatures called Little Metal People in fantasy role-playing games. <laughs> so, he was definitely a fan. And no Dungeon Master Spree. We didn't know what that was until we went to Gen Con. <laughs> and they were like, what? Well, I don't know, that's weird. <laughs> so, why don't you tell them about the, um, the, the, the model dungeon that you made for, that you brought to Gen Con? Okay, we, uh, I had a lot of excess energy, I guess, as a young man. <laughs> I said, we should make a three-dimensional dungeon uh, with real uh, scaled rooms and, and 
decor and terrain and whatever, and then we'll put lids on top of each room, and we'll make working doors, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, so it was uh, about a six foot by four foot wooden base he made for me with balsa wood walls, and then I took it home and I textured the balsa wood walls, sometimes with a with a little wooden gouge and sometimes with an exacto knife and <laughs> sometimes by appliquing construction paper stone. I like did every different technique of making stonework and brickwork. <laughs> I don't know who I was back then. But we made it and then uh, he said, Well let's take it to Gen Con and I'm like, Well don't you need to get permission, you know, <laughs> to to bring this big thing into the convention? He's like, No, we'll just set it up somewhere. And that's what we did. We just showed up at Gen Con. No one knew who we were, and we, uh, we put up a sign on the wall that said "Beginners D and D," and people came by. And we, uh, he ran a, a game uh, where uh, the little doors could you could move your figures to the little door and then listen at the door, and then when you had you got the nerve up, you could say we go in, and then we would pull a little cardboard lid off and show them the room with a giant spider web or, or whatnot in it, and uh, it was good fun. <laughs> And it still exists, but it's kind of filling up with bird seed and who knows what. <laughs> <laughs> Rats. More cobwebs, that's good. There's, yeah. there's a few pictures of it on my blog mm -hmm. or something. So do you guys have any questions or other stuff you'd like to talk about? Um, I'm curious, what's the timeline on the book? So I was hoping to have the book here for the convention, but that didn't work out. Um, but the, uh, we should probably have it ready by the end of July, I think. We have a few things we're sorting out with the printer in terms of the print run size, uh, but we just received the uh, signature sheets for the, for it. so we're gonna do it as a signed and limited edition in the first print, and then it'll be a, uh, uh, it'll be a regular trade hardcover after that. And our intention is to experiment with getting it out on Amazon and such as well, since it's a regular book of fiction and whatnot, not just uh, through regular gaming outlets. Will we be able to pre-order? Uh, if we get it up on Amazon, I would assume so, yes. Mm -hmm. If not, then you'll have to wait until we're, we're, we have it available. <laughs> but yeah, we'll have some more information and be able to spread that through the forums as the, we get that the final details of that nailed down. And certainly Zach will be able to you know, share information with his blog or something like that too. Sure. And it has some new drawings in it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Chris wrote an introduction for each of the stories, and then uh, he's got one illustration for each of the stories, I think, as well. Yeah, one new illustration. Yeah. We're a shark, Chris? Oh, of course. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> We're a shark this time. <laughs> yes. I, I believe you did one article comparing his version of basically to the Mold Bay version that came out afterward. He wrote a review of the Mold Bay. Did he have a, 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 a view of the, the Menser version or any other versions that came out that were not published? Or? Not that I know of. I didn't actually know there were so many versions. <laughs> I thought everyone was playing AD&D. And, uh, uh, and then I realized that there were all these really expensive uh, Dungeons and Dragons books with colored illustrations in them. And so I knew there was something else. Uh, but I, I, I really lost track of, of uh, the history of uh, basic D&D and so forth. I didn't know who Frank Menzer was last year. But his name rang a bell, and so I signed up for his game, and then I, it turned out that he, it was a great uh, political move for me to go play Frank Spencer. <laughs> and, and he, you know, he like 
uh, had me sign uh, his copy of, uh, of the basic, which is sort of a silly thing to do, but it was, I was very moved. Uh, <laughs> and so, oh, you know, it's all good. Uh, it's all good stuff. And, uh, and Dad's review of Mulvey uh, Cook was very favorable. I thought. Yeah. All right, well, if you guys don't have any other questions, thank you so much for coming, and uh, have fun gaming the rest of the day. I know you're all uh, uh, probably very smart, creative people, uh, because because you're here, and uh, I, I have a sense for this. So I think one of the great things that Dad did was he did not give up his day job, but he did follow his dreams at the same time, and uh, if he had uh, if he had quit teaching and tried to make his living as a writer, I, probably would not have been as happy, and his family certainly would not have been as happy. So, <laughs> if some of you are teachers or whatever you do, do it, you know, do your job and do it well, be, be good people and try to be creative people too, but don't say, I want to be a, an artist or a writer or a game designer, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give it all up and concentrate on my art. No, you can do both, do both, you'll be alright. That's my lesson to young people. <laughs> Here's one young person. <laughs> Keep your day job. I'm